0: Good morning. My name is Natasha. Our scripture passage today comes from Acts 22, 22 through 29 from the Common English Bible. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they shouted, away with this man. He is not fit to live. As they were screaming, throwing off their garments and flinging dust into the air, the commander directed that Paul be taken into the military headquarters. He ordered that Paul be questioned under the whip so that he could find out why they were shouting at him like this. As they were stretching him out and tying him down with straps, Paul said to the centurion standing there, can you legally whip a Roman citizen who hasn't been found guilty in court? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. He asked, what are you about to do? This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and demanded, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, yes. The commander replied, it cost me a lot of money to buy my citizenship. Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. At once, those who were were about to examine him stepped away. The commander was alarmed when he realized he had bound a Roman citizen.
1: Thank you for reading the scripture passage. Again, that was Acts 22, verses 22 through 29 in the Common English Bible Version. We continue in our Acts series the Spirit-infused multi-ethnic church, and this is a Loving Scripture uh, series by Renew. And we are now in Acts 22. After arriving in Jerusalem, Paul and his companions go to check in with James and the elders of the church at Jerusalem, the mother church in Jerusalem. And Paul and his companions gives an update on what God and the Holy Spirit has been doing among the Gentiles through Paul's ministry, um, and after he gives this report, this ministry report, the elders and James all rejoice. Clearly, God is doing something. Clearly, the Holy Spirit, as work, is at work spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. But then they do mention that the other Jewish believers have been talking and whispering and kind of complaining about rumors that. Paul had been teaching the Gentiles to discard the law of Moses, right? And you know Paul uh, wants the the, the gospel to go out to the Gentiles and doesn't want any kind of barriers, unnecessary, gratuitous barriers that are tied to um, ethnic, cultural things to be stumbling blocks for the Gentiles coming to the faith. And so you can see how some of the more faithful Jewish believers uh, the Jewish believers are complaining that the Gentiles, Oh, they don't have to follow. Paul's telling them they don't have to do this or this or, you know, not eat this and not eat that. Um, and so he's discarding the law of Moses. So what the elders of the Jerusalem church end up doing is they instruct Paul and his men to go through purification rituals. Um, in order to make people happy, in order to dispel the rumors. And Paul com- complies. They end up going through to seven days or whatever of ritual purification. They pay the expenses or the temple taxes that they need to pay to demonstrate that yes, we are following the, the Mosaic law and we're being good, um, good followers of Yahweh and good followers of the Mosaic law. Um, adherence to the law but meanwhile Jews from Asia you know where where Paul did much of his ministry in Asia they are in Jerusalem as well because if you remember this is uh, near Pentecost which is the 50 days after Passover so uh, Jerusalem already has travelers many travelers who have pilgrim to Jerusalem in order to uh, pay their dues their religious dues uh, to um, Jerusalem at Jerusalem and so there's Jews from Asia who Paul has come into conflict with before if you remember and they see Paul and his men Paul and his followers um, in the temple and they begin to stir up the crowd against them making accusations and the scripture says that the stir, the city is stirred up to a frenzy that a mob forms. And I want us to think back. Right? Remember the triumphal entry of Jesus and his last journey into Jerusalem. We mentioned a couple of weeks ago how Paul set his sights on Jerusalem as kind of as a last chapter. Um, just as Jesus walked, set his face on Jerusalem as his last act before his crucifixion there's a parallelism going here and just as when jesus walked into jerusalem which we you know celebrate as a triumphal entry in the church calendar as palm sunday it says jerusalem was in an uproar like the whole city was in a stir like an earthquake and here too the whole city is in a frenzy is in a stir so much so, that the captain of the Roman guard hears of this and sees what's going on, and is like, what is going on? And these, what's happened is these, these Jews from Asia have stirred up a crowd against Paul and his companions, and they're in a mob beating Paul, right? So Paul is literally being physically built, beat. And the captain of the Roman guard steps in and stops it. Well, actually, it says when the people saw the Roman guard, they stopped beating Paul. Obviously, they're like, oh, the, mommy and daddy's here. The authority is here. We better stop because I think we're doing something wrong, <laughs> right? Really. So they stop, And the Roman guard is like, what in the world is going on here? get rid of this. Get rid of this mob. And the people, the mob keep shouting, get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of him. And again, we're reminded of Jesus before the crowd, Pilate bringing Jesus before the crowd and the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Paul has just, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And then Paul, what happens is the captain of the guard has the, his men bind Paul up, and it says it still says that the people were such in such a frenzy, right, trying to get at him, trying to hurt him, trying to uh, kill him, that they had to carry them up, carry Paul on their shoulders, and finally, Paul says to the Roman captain. Let me speak to the people. Let me address the people as they're taking him into the barricade uh, for his own safety. Paul says, let me speak to them. Um, So that brings us to the top of chapter 22, where Paul speaks to the angry Jewish mob um, that were right before this trying to kill him because of his heresy. Because in their eyes, the followers of the way, Christians, were a heresy, right? Were an abomination to um, their faith, to their, their worship of Yahweh, um, the sect of Jesus Christ. Um, but we wanna see more what's behind their anger. In Paul's speech at the beginning of first half of 22, Paul appeals, to their jewishness right good good tactic because they're accusing him of being against mosaic law of allowing the gentiles not to practice the traditions of the law and so what paul does is say hey i am a jew right in verse 3 i'm a jew born in tarsus of cilicia yes but i was brought up in this city in Jerusalem, right? I'm from your neighborhood, I'm from your area. Not only did I grow up in Jerusalem, I studied under Gamaliel, who's one of the greatest Pharisees, and was thoroughly trained in the law of Moses, and the law of our ancestors. And I am just as zealous, which means hardcore, I'm just as hardcore for God as any of you are today. In fact, I was a Pharisee perfect in the law who persecuted Christians. Like I had Christians arrested and killed. I was there when Stephen was stoned. Like I was the one who was after people. And then Paul goes on. So I am, you know, more Jewish, more zealous than a more. I was a Pharisee I was more passionate about the law than most of you out there. But then he tells the story of of his journey to Damascus and his conversion. And this is where we get a, a retelling of Paul's conversion ride traveling to Damascus. Um, about Jesus calling him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. And the voice reveals himself, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. And we know this story, Paul, uh, Saul is blinded. He meets a man named Ananias who takes care of him. Um, and then he comes to the faith Um, and his sight is restored and that's where verse 21 right before our passage Paul ends his speech with then the Lord said to me go I will send you far away to the Gentiles right go I will send you far away to the Gentiles because right before that God Jesus had said to Saul, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me, Jesus Christ. And so I think up to this point, the crowd is quiet. One, because of the Roman military, but two, they're listening to Paul. And maybe they're even thinking in their heads, hey, we got this, this, it was just gossip. The rumors, maybe they aren't true, right? Cause look, Paul was a Pharisee. Paul persecuted the Christians. Paul was zealous for the law, right? He's one of us, right? He's hardcore like us. So why are we out to get this guy? And so he has them. But when we read in verse, when we begin in our, our passage in 22, the crowd listened to Paul until right they listened to Paul verse 22 until he said this then they raised their voices and shouted rid the earth of him he's not fit to leave so yes they were listening to Paul all the way up until this and what was this that last statement then the Lord said to me go and I will send you to the Gentiles That is the source of their rage. That's what's getting them all upset. That God would, in a revelation, tell Paul, or Jesus in a revelation would tell Paul that he was supposed to go to the Gentiles and speak about God's love to the Gentiles. And that's, what disrupts them. That's what gets them back into a frenzy and wanting to kill Paul again. Paul appeals to their Jewishness. Paul was a zealous defender of the law. And as we see, Paul was even complying with the elders of the Jerusalem church to go and do, they completed their seven days of ritual purification, right? And we know that Paul, wherever he went, each each Sabbath went to the synagogues. Like Paul was still very Jewish. Paul never rejected that, but he was following Jesus' call to go to the Gentiles. And so even though, You know, Paul's not throwing out the the baby with the bathwater. He never, you know, rejected um, the Mosaic Law. The people want to get rid of him because they can't hear that God's promised people also include, is inclusive of the Gentiles. Like that messes with them. Right? The whole idea or notion that our faith, right, the faith that we grew up with, the faith we were taught, these scriptures and the Bibles, the temple, our chil- we teach our children how to follow this God, the one true God, how to follow these laws. Right? We go to the temple every week and receive teaching that that faith was also so tied to an ethnic identity, a national identity, that when there was a suggestion of something different an alternative, like you, not only is your community this encircled specific group, but now, right, this man is saying, right, God is about loving, the Gentiles as well? No! That, that messes with our, our, our national identity. Right? And we know we're not immune right? in the world today of interlacing, of falsely connecting our ethnic or national identity with the gospel. Our ethnic or national or cultural identity. Uh, preferences or identity with the Bible with what it means to be Christian right none of us are actually immune from bringing our cultural experiences our backgrounds into how we read the Bible how we understand the faith and I actually think the key to discipleship and following Jesus is to let go of our biases and consider right how scripture, how Jesus, how the Holy Spirit is shaping and forming us to make us more open to crossing boundaries and loving people outside of ourselves, right? Being bridge builders, being people who uh, go against the boundaries, right? To connect with people, who aren't like us, who don't come from the same place as us. And yet we know that history tells the stories of how scripture and, and the faith has been abused or misused or misdirected or weaponized in order to keep a group in power as pure and justified and another group um, enslaved. That we use scripture all the time to judge those who are not like us and history is full um, of those things and I think that's what Paul that's the rage that Paul is running into here rid the earth of him he is not fit to leave live why why is Paul not fit to live and should be out of the earth and it's interesting, both in Jesus's crucifixion and here in Paul's, you know, kind of trial by the public. The kind of the secular Roman perspective, like, you know, the Romans are like, they're just interested in keeping the peace, right? They're like, what in the world is this right? But they don't understand. And it says, and I'm skipping, I don't get it. Right. And, and the next chapter, I don't understand why they want to get rid of this guy it has something to do with their religion their faith but in our eyes they haven't broken it right that's the perspective paul hasn't broken any laws like what's the problem and they're trying to protect paul but they're also like want to keep the peace and so that's that's the tension and what we see with jesus is there's nothing that Pilate or kind of the secular authorities who are in charge find wrong with Jesus. And that's so we know that Jesus was crucified as an innocent man, wrongly accused, right? Just as Paul here is an innocent man, like he's killed, he, he's being persecuted by a frenzied mob. Um, and the perspective, the Roman perspective is I don't get it, I don't get it. Just as Paul appeals to the crowd's Jewishness by saying he himself was raised very Jewish as a trained under the, the most powerful Pharisee, and became a most zealous Pharisee himself, appealing to his Jewishness, Paul also here uh, appeals to the Roman law, right? So the crowds are upset and they are uh, mad again. They start shouting, verse 23, and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. And the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks right, for his protection. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting him at this. Because when he asked the people, he just couldn't understand. They're in such a frenzy and people are yelling and shouting things. He still doesn't understand what's wrong with Paul. So he takes Paul into the barrack and it says he has him flogged. And the flogging, this is no like, oh, let's take a switch and just like, you know, slap, slap them on the wrist. This is no slap on the wrist. It is, right, they used to stretch people out, tie their arms and legs and stretch them out so they could be flogged more easily and flogged to the point, right, with, until their skin is broken, right? And a a lot of people didn't survive this flogging. The skin is broken and you can see, right, even organs um, and muscles underneath. So they want to interrogate Paul. And just as they are about to stretch him out like a piece of leather, right, Paul says to the centurion, standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Paul's like, Oh, by the way, have you looked at my ID? Right? Have you seen my passport? It says citizen of the United States, I mean, citizen of Rome. Right? And when the centurion heard this, he was like, He went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen because there's a law that no Roman citizen should be bound or tortured. Like, this type of stuff was reserved for non-Romans, right? The flogging and the the bad stuff, but with Roman citizens, they have their due process and they're treated humanely. And there's... So, the centurion is freaked out because he's done a huge no-no. Once Paul tells him he's done this to a Roman citizen, he goes to the commander, what do we do? I've made a big mistake. So the commander goes to Paul and says, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And as a side note, it's the centurion who goes to the commander. A centurion is kind of the ruler or the military leader of a 100 men, right? And I think there is like at least two centurions here, Um, right? So it's like 200, like the national, imagine 200 national guard being sent to kind of calm this mob down. This is how big this is. And the commander questions Paul and says, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul says, why, yes, I am. Here's my paper. And get this. The commander says, but I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. So the commander wasn't even an naturalized Roman citizen, right? Uh, back in those days, people did have to pay a lot of, they bribed officials and they paid a lot of money so they can get the papers that said they were Roman citizens. And this guy's like, but I had to pay a lot for my... So how do you, how are you a citizen? And Paul's like, actually, I didn't have to buy mine. I was born a citizen. Ooh, right? Paul was more Roman than this commander was Roman, right? And it says, verse 29, our last verse, those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. They're like, we're outing, right? We're not, we're not going to deal with this mess. This is going to get ugly. The commander himself was alarmed. Oh no! When he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. He had done something illegal. A big no-no. And after this, we'll deal with this next week. Paul goes before the Sanhedrin. But what do we glean from this? Something that's really hard for me to ignore is citizenship, right? Like identity. Who who do you belong to? Who are your people? And it seems here that Paul is able to appeal to both the Jewish mob that's out to kill him and he's able to use Roman law to get himself out of a pickle right to the Jewish mom he's basically saying I'm more Jewish than any of you are Jewish so what's up with that to the to the Roman commander he's like you bought your your citizenship I was born a citizen I'm more Roman than you you're about to flog me oh heck no right so Paul is able to use his citizenship or his identity or belonging to an ethnic group or a cultural group, whether it's official or whether it's by experience, his, his upbringing, as Paul is, has a feat in multiple worlds. Perhaps this is why God is able to use him so powerfully he's both very jewish raised jewish trained under a jewish uh, under a pharisee the great Gamma Mill. and he's a roman citizen right that shouldn't be touched or shouldn't be tortured or shouldn't be chained right paul here has a foot in many worlds he's bicultural he's able to navigate if there's a- anyone who's able to take the gospel to the Gentiles, something that had a very Jewish, you know, t- beginning and, t- and, ex- and take that word, take that message of salvation further out, it's Paul, a man of the world, a man, a, a cultured person who's a Roman citizen and used to be a Pharisee. Able to speak and argue um, with the Jews in Athens and Corinth and other places, also able to speak with James and the elders of the Jerusalem Church and, and make a defense, right? But also able to travel to different places as a Roman citizen and able to hear be spared because he's a Roman citizen. Amazing. But the thing that I want to pull out of this is because Paul knows that his true citizenship is in the kingdom of God, is the kingdom of heaven, he's able to use his other citizenships, right? To survive, to make it. And that that brings us to another kind of another point that i want to make paul is not actively looking to be a martyr right paul's not throwing himself out there to get persecuted to get killed he knows when he gets to jerusalem he's gonna suffer and be persecuted and perhaps lose his life he's willing to lose his life he says that in the chapters before right i'm willing to lose my life for this for the gospel for the kingdom of God. But just as he's committed to that and convicted about that, he's not gonna force it, right? He's not gonna be like, yes, flog me, right? Yes, please, beat me and kill me. No, he makes appeals. He appeals to the mob's Jewishness. He appeals to Roman law. To save his, literally, save his hide. Right? What does that tell us? It tells us, yes, sometimes following Jesus and being a disciple of Christ means suffering, means it's hard, means blessed are those who are persecuted. But it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. You get persecuted by the world and other people. It doesn't say, blessed are those who seek out persecution right? You will suffer because of your faith. You will come upon hard times because you're a Christian. You will be persecuted because if you're living out your faith, you will come against obstacles or disagreement or people, you know, slandering you or any type of persecution. But you don't manufacture persecution. You don't manufacture suffering. You don't play martyr just to be a martyr for martyr's sake. Does that make sense? An example is, hey, like something like, oh, I I don't have to go to the hospital or I don't have to take care of my body. Or I don't have to, you know, you know, I don't have to worry about this virus. Because what? Because Jesus will protect me. Jesus will save me. In fact, I know Jesus is so good and he'll protect me that, hey, put a, put a pot of virus right in front of me and I'll jump into it. See? Or oh, you have those YouTube videos of people blowing, you know, pastors blowing, whatever they're blowing. The spirit against the virus on people. Like, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Wasn't that what Jesus said to Satan when Satan said, Hey, if you're God's child, beloved child, jump from this building? And hey, it says, Scripture says, God will save you, the angels will save you. Jesus knows Himself. I'm not going to like, randomly just put God to the test. I'm not going to look for death, <laughs> pain, and suffering. Right? Yeah, I'm going to die someday, but I don't have to force that. I think this is a, an important cultural message for us. Right? If we know our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven and that that is our main like before anything i am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven i'm a child of jesus christ i'm in the family of god and above all of my loyalties you know being in the sim family being even a part of the renew family being a u.s citizen right being american above all those allegiances Above all those families, above all those communities, above all those ties, right? Above the law, I am a part of God's family first. But if I know that and I'm confident of that, I don't... That means all other, all other things I can be shrewd about. I use those things, right? Doesn't Jesus say, be shrewd as snakes? Be shrewd as snakes. And what I see here in Paul is Paul uses what he has, the tools he has, the, the, his identity, everything to calm the crowd, to not get flogged. Right? He's as shrewd as a snake. And we can do that We can hold those things loosely or use those as tools because we know what's not negotiable is our true identity and citizenship, first and foremost, to the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Amen? We we use whatever we have for the sake of the kingdom. We use whatever we have to live as long as we can To preach the gospel for the rest of our life. And we don't artificially create suffering, or we don't become martyrs, we don't make ourselves martyrs. Amen. Because God needs you. God wants you. Right? God wants you present in the world. God wants you to live in the world. Right? God doesn't want us to have a posture of, right? I'm waiting for the glory that'll come. Like, you know, really, I don't want to live. I can't wait till I die because then I'll be with God in heaven. Yes, that's a great sentiment, but actually, no, God wants us here on the earth, loving people and living life to the fullest and engaging with people for as long as we can because there's purpose on earth. We're not just waiting for it. that that glory in the sky when Jesus comes to take us up. We're called to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven on earth for the sake of the gospel. And because of that, we can be shrewd and wise and clever and brilliant in how we negotiate with the world.